0: <laughs> Hello, Spets. That's just safer. You just cracked me up, man, when you went. <laughs> OSR? <Uso>? Nah. <laughs> I almost felt disappointed when you kept talking to me. Absolutely perfect. Brilliant. But <laughs> I know nothing about uh, role playing, obviously, and I can't think of anything more to say. But you've actually <laughs> given me an idea of how I could perhaps make some more podcasts. Perhaps how I could get to that. Uh, much sought after 12th season by Christmas, uh, I could just <laughs> just think of a load of topics and then just go, nah, at the end, like, minis versus theatre of mind? Nah. <laughs> Props for immersion? Nah. Game theory? <laughs> Honestly, at least I've got an idea now for um, RPG your day month if it comes up. Cheers, <laughs> mate. Thanks for the laugh.
1: when he had an
2: epiphany and make a part in about time too about not playing and it was free through all and i heard him say "Give up my borderlands but just sit back and let spencer do his trick because you're incapable and
3: Opening the show there with a very welcome message from Sofa Fantasy Crafting. And, um, yeah, (laughs) I really enjoyed that. I'm glad I tickled your fancy. The suggestion that you know nothing about RPGs is pure bobbins. I'd love to hear you put out more episodes. And I certainly appreciated and enjoyed that message. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Keep Off The Borderlands My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall And in this episode I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to be talking about Um, Unsurprisingly, my recent episode Generated quite a few responses Which pick up on different points So uh, it's a bit of a grab bag of holding So in the words of the late Kenny Everett. Let's push the button marked idiot and see what comes out. Nobligation and it's the game. Some true words of wisdom there from Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus. Uh, thank you for that, Barney. Seemingly a little further down that bottle of wine or maybe onto the next one. But um. Fortunately, because I've been living in Scotland for the past, what is it, eight years, I understood every word of that. You'll be hearing more astute observations from Barney, peppered throughout the rest of the episode. Thank you very much for that, Barney. I saw what's somewhere between application and then said. On the subject of call-ins and how I use feedback, um, I was listening to Rob C. Um, Well, Rob C, if down in a heap, tends to take the approach of, uh, well, if he's got calls on a particular subject, he will put them out in an episode together addressing that subject. But quite often, because of the volume of feedback his show gets, and it's no surprise, it's a great show, He addresses that volume of feedback by putting out Call In Bonanza episodes, and these can run on to an hour plus. And, uh, yeah, it was talking about that format whether he should put out a bunch of shorter episodes, perhaps. Personally, I'm quite happy for longer episodes. The great thing about podcasts is you can come back to them, especially with an episode like uh, Call In Bonanza, where you know, you're probably addressing several topics within an episode. And, uh, yeah, well, he was talking about the fact that Anchor has created this sort of environment, you know, the ease at which people can leave feedback and responding to that creates the sense of an ongoing conversation, and it gives the the format a, a human touch that may be absent in other Media, and yes, I've got to say I highly agree with that. But I do wonder how it is for new listeners discovering Anchor, discovering all these different podcasts referencing each other. You know, you coming in to the middle of conversations about conversations, reference upon reference. These inception-like Scooby-Doo sandwich episodes of call-ins that I do, name-dropping podcasts all over the place. It does make me wonder how that comes across to newer members of the community. I can certainly see how it's easy to find all this stuff overwhelming. And I'm not really sure I've got a solution to that. (laughs) Um, uh, I enjoy putting out episodes in the format in which I put them out um, getting these chunks of ongoing conversations. I really appreciate actually what Colin, Spike Pit Green was doing with his back catalogue, going back, revisiting topics and kind of pulling all that, all the feedback, everything he'd received about a particular topic and constructing an episode. Combining all those parts in these kind of um, retrospective episodes. That's great, uh, but it strikes me as something that's extremely time-consuming and requires quite a bit of skill to put all that together. So I personally I am going to continue on in the manner to which you may or may not be accustomed where I respond to calls in the order In which I receive them. Obviously if I get a few calls. On the same subject. I will address those together. But as Rob says. When you get feedback. A couple of weeks down the line. To older episodes. It's inevitable. That these conversations. Are going to be spread. Across a series of episodes. So. Strap yourselves in. As I allow the chaos to continue, this is I'm sorry, the content's
4: adorable.
2: Hey, Spencer, Daniel from Bandits Keep uh, calling in about your latest episode. And the town stuff, I I pretty much have two ways I handle that. One is that in a town-based adventure, we might actually role-play the tavern and all that kind of stuff. They're looking for clues, if that's important to the mission. But for the kind of generally grabbing gear type things, I'll usually make some kind of blanket statement. Like, okay, this town is pretty well fortified. Any of the standard gear you can have, just mark down what you spent on it. Uh, but they don't have any heavy armor, something like that, right? Um, Or I might say, well, this town is pretty low on supplies, so you can get food and those kind of things, but if there's something special, holy water, that kind of thing, we might roll forward or it's not available. And then I let everybody just kind of write down what they want. I don't even ask them what they buy. And that makes that part go a lot faster for me. And so far as henchmen are concerned... I always try to, between sessions or before the session, say, if anybody's interested in getting henchmen, let me know. And what I will do is I'll literally make the list of henchmen ahead of time, and I'll just say, these are the henchmen that are, that you have. And I'll just do it really quickly. I, I I tend to agree with you that that kind of stuff can drag on, and especially if it's a one-shot and you want to just get going. A lot of times, if I'm going to have henchmen available and it's a one-shot, I will, especially if I make pre-gens, is I will just give people the henchman at the beginning. I'll literally just be like, here's your henchman. Take it, you know. <laughs> I don't even go through the process of letting them pick. I just give them a henchman. Because if it's a one-shot, we want to get to that action right away. Someday I will learn how to leave only one message. But um, anyways, <laughs> um, the, the third thing about the length of time. You yeah, haven't finished talking about that yet, but I'm getting out of my car and I want to send this before I do that is I tend to agree with you that shorter uh, games are better for me as well. This has changed. When I first got into playing online, like maybe five years ago, um, four hours was kind of the standard session. Now I only have one campaign that I'm running that we run four hours, and sometimes we even do three with that. All my other games I try to keep somewhere in the vicinity of two, two and a half hours, and then if it runs to three, then that's you know not bad. But I try to write the adventures like they can be finished in two hours. Because, yeah, I just can't sit in front of the computer for that long. I just, af- after a while, it really does start to drag on me. And uh, I kind of got that from Andy Goodman, actually. He runs just two-hour sessions, and I thought, wow, this is really great. So I've been really doing that the last several months.
3: Hey, Daniel. Daniel from Bandits Keep there with some great advice. It was a lot of stuff we sort of already implemented. I should probably go into a bit more detail about the uh, the setup of that OSE game but before I do that I just wanted to say that it was Andy Goodman that was kind of instrumental in showing me how much can be achieved in just a two-hour session and that has been a great experience playing in his Call of Cthulhu sessions you know that's been a real eye-opener and sometimes um, due to various technical issues we've spent about half an hour trying to get the session going and yet still even with an hour and a half left we seem to get through quite a lot of uh quite a lot of stuff so um yeah he's certainly very skilled in keeping things flowing um yeah but back to to the OSE sessions old school essentials this is an ongoing campaign. I say it's an ongoing campaign. Let's let's unpack that a little. Dave Aldridge of the Percentile set up Wednesday night and Saturday sessions, weekly sessions, running old school essentials. Now I was only ever able to join the Wednesday sessions, so I'm not sure how the Saturday sessions worked, but I imagine it was very similar the setup we had and this was a, a, essentially an ongoing campaign but a bit of an open table, people could drop in and drop out but at the beginning there was like a sort of a core about six of us playing in these sessions and Dave was uh, very organised in the sense that generally he would post up the retainers that were available, or henchmen if you like There'd be probably half a dozen of those posted up in the discord channel, but as it is with these things, quite often prior to sitting down to play, people probably come in from work had something to eat, and then prepare to play so we'd we'd still spend the the beginning of the session sorting out the retainers that that's assuming we were at the beginning of an adventure and we'd go through the whole business of rolling charisma and uh quite often there there'd be one retainer there we would all want and we all, would all fail at charisma rolls and end up not getting them and having to make do with, with somebody else dave would also explain that um you know what equipment was available and he would usually roll randomly prior to the session And post up what was available. I guess all things being fair, we did try and get through that sort of stuff as quickly as possible. But as I say, that wasn't a big problem. What was the the larger problem for me? I think was the three and a half hour plus session. And as I said in the last episode, because it's kind of this ongoing campaign persistent world, with uh, a core group, characters dropping in and out, it wasn't so much what was occurring at the beginning of the session that was causing those to be longer sessions. I just think, generally, people who were playing were happy to, you know, play till 11.30, midnight, whatever. And, um, yeah, my fault for having a couple of young children, I'm afraid. That's an, that's an obvious factor that I hadn't mentioned <laughs> and um, well a little bit more about that OSE campaign that's still going on Dave got a new job had to relocate and handed over the uh, the running of those sessions to Edwin King and uh, since then the, the GMing of those sessions has actually been passed around the group but Unfortunately Circumstances being as they are Me me attending those sessions Has been less and less frequent And I haven't played For a number of weeks now But thanks for your call Daniel I'm aware there are a few more messages from you Coming up Later on in the episode
0: Hello Spencer Andy here I said I'd be leaving a message Or at least maybe two So here it is Yeah Yeah Uh, OSE. I think you might have finally done it. I got. I've had the books. I've had the um the box. What is it? The uh, uh, you know the, I don't know the box with the four four books in for five books in for a good while now. But um, you talking about it and then sending me over, uh, sending me over to watch the Runehammer video, which I'd never really, uh, I've never seen any of this stuff before. That's just got me excited again about about fantasy, about running fantasy, like low prep, um just get it on the table, and um yeah, I think it ties in with your other point about visual kind of stuff and um and roll twenty you know one of, one of the reasons i I think I stopped running d and d was the the need to put so much effort into setting up the setting up the, the Roll20 with the maps and the NPCs and the character tokens and the character sheets and blah, 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 all of that. Um, and I was doing that and, I, and, and then running a combat Man, I mean, it's just tedious or, or, or overwhelming if you've got too many, too many participants, too many, too many monsters, NPCs that they're fighting. Um, and I think that's why I gave up. So the idea of actually running a, a much lighter game where there isn't such a need or, or compulsion, if you watch the Hammer, I think he, he summarises it really well on that, on that video about OSE. Yeah, just bin it all, bin it all. Get back to imagination, which then, of course, uh, you know, you you say that yourself that you you kind of prefer it, which um, which makes you wonder: Do I need to ditch all the visual stuff for our Call of Cthulhu game? I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm overegging the pudding now, or I, I'm taking away your ability to imagine the scenes. I, I'm torn. I'm torn. But seriously, though, I actually feel it's very, very different. Or at least for me, it's very different. You're going to have to tell me, Spencer, because if I'm doing you wrong, I need to know. Um, I actually think the level of visuals that that I'm putting in to our Call of Cthulhu games is okay. I don't think it's overly... um, overly... What's the word? Um, You know, I don't think it... Closes in your definition too much, overly um, descriptive, prescriptive. That's it, prescriptive. And I know we had a map for for the for the mill for for that for the hole in the ground for the hole in the ground in the mill. But I, you know, it's basically one of the worst maps I've ever seen. So I don't think it. I don't. I don't think um, it's particularly um, uh, restrictive on your ability to imagine what was going on down that hole. Um, Yeah, but I kind of like the sound effects or the music beds and stuff you can put in it. And maybe I am going too far. Well, you'll you'll have to tell me, Spencer. All I know is that I'm loving playing those games. And if there's anything I can do to make them, uh, like, better for people, um, I'd love to know. But um, hopefully we'll see you soon in... uh, Well, you're you're, you're stalking a film star right now, aren't you? Who would have thought Milton would... Um, Milton would be off, off in Hollywood stalking film stars, eh?
3: Thank you very much for those messages, Andy. Andy Goodman there from... Where's he from? Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks and uh, Grizzly Peaks Radio. And I have to say that, no, I think you are spot on with the level of what you share in those Call of Cthulhu games. Essentially, it's the kind of handouts that you'd pass around the table. And I think that stuff is really key to Call of Cthulhu. That's lovely. All those little touches, the notes, documents, photographs, and even the maps that you talk about those maps there as if it's not like they're battle maps. But what you're sharing with us are the sort of maps that you'd find in some little tourist information office depicting local walks, that kind of stuff. Um, no, it's perfect, Andy. What you do is spot on. And I'm very fortunate to be involved in those sessions. Thank you.
2: They said, but Spencer's still gave the essence. You can do anything. What's it?
5: Hey Spencer, Jason here. Interesting last episode. Yeah, I don't know the the lavender hack sounds kind of like a mess. It, obviously, it's not, but you know, it's like you took a mechanic from I don't know because I haven't read it, but if it sounds like you took a mechanic from here and a mechanic from there and a this from that. And, I don't know. You you know, these days I'm I guess I'm anti-OSR. I'm not I, I'm not against OSR. But I'm more of a, as far as rules go, I'm very much not into DIY. I'm very happy to just play rules as written and put that creative energy, what little I have, into the scenario. And that's not saying I won't do the rule of cool to let somebody do fun stuff. But I'm less worried about house rules these days than I have been in the past. But I did just buy White Hack, so I'm going to read that first. And then maybe if I have time, I'll read Lavender Hack. That call of Joe's into my podcast that you're talking about, I forget what episode that was, but I could go back and look, but I'm in the car at the moment. But from what I can recall, basically he was saying that if Gygax had stayed working on D&D, he thought Pathfinder would be the natural evolution, not some of these OSR games. Which And there's a little back and forth on that, and and Arlen Walker said that Gax is a bad game designer, and there are a couple other things said. But effectively, you know, I kind of disagree because we see where Gary went. Well, it, you know what? It's irrelevant. It, it's totally irrelevant. If you want to see where Gary may have gone with it, then look at, is it Adventures Dark and Deep? Crap. BRW Publishing. Um, Joe Block. Or, uh, B-L-O-C-H. I, again, I'm in the car, but I think it's Adventures Dark and Deep. Anyway, that game, basically what he did is he compiled all of Gary's Gygax's notes from letters and from Dragon Magazine and all his comments about rules and what changes he'd make and this and that. And then he wrote what he felt, according to that, would be the second edition of AD&D under Gygax's editorial control. So, yeah. Anyhow, but... Ultimately I agree with you It's not about where it would have gone It's the DIY aspect A lot of it's about Freely sharing the stuff with each other The riffing off each other And the sense of community that you felt When you came into the hobby And the OSR welcomed you As I think it welcomed most people So I'm sorry that Not everybody Received that welcome But I think the majority of people did But I, I do appreciate your show. I look forward to your next episode and I'm waiting for, for you to send me that invite to the game that you're running. So let's get to it.
3: Thank you, Jason, Jason of nerds, RPG variety cast there. And, uh, the lavender hack. I wasn't expecting you to, to dive into that one, Jason. I know you keep yourself busy enough as far as gaming concerned. Um, as far as it being a mess or not, I can't speak to that. To be honest, I've been more fascinated with the sort of design notes and commentary that he's put alongside those rules. That's that's what I found interesting about it. You know, whether the attempt to combine all these elements of different games uh, into a system that works remains to be seen. It strikes me as a game. With far more rules than I'm interested in in learning. To be frank. You know me. I like to keep it light. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the white hack. Nice light rule set there. So yeah. And um, as far as all the Gygax stuff is concerned. I have to admit I'm not, not really interested in going any deeper into all that myself. But thank you. For elaborating there and pointing out that somebody is taking the time to go and collect all that sort of stuff together and put it put it in the, in one place. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. As for some folks not receiving a warm welcome in the OSR, um, yeah, I'll touch on that a little bit later. But thanks very much for your call, Jason. And yeah, I know you want me to be running games and you want to play in those games. I know that. And I really appreciate your encouragement. I mean, you're the guy that got me back in to playing in the first place. Using Barbarians of Lamoria, no less. And I'm really glad to see you're running that again. Great stuff. But um, at the moment, I'm kind of struggling to to play and um yeah the thought of running games on top of that i don't know well maybe that would be easier at least i'd get to say when it happened (laughs) we'll see jason and i thank you for your patience and your belief in me cheers
4: Hey there, Spencer.
3: It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries.
4: I've just been listening to your latest episode called Your OSR May Vary," episode 171. And I've got to say, I think part of the reason why people can't agree on what the OSR actually means is because everyone, well, not everyone, but some people seem absolutely petrified of saying, oh, I don't think that's OSR, because then you're going to get accused of gatekeeping, the old, like, twitter RT lynch mobs will be lighting up their virtual torches, and coming for you on social media. So, And if you can't define what's not OSR or any other group, how can you hope to define what is? I I don't have a solution. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm probably going to leave you another call in a moment. Anyway, enjoying the episode, dude. Take care. Hey there, Spencer. John here again. I told you I'd leave you another messy. And I was laughing a bit when you were talking about a podcast, doing an episode called farewell to the osr and to be honest i'm going to resist the urge to be flippant and record an episode called don't let the door hit you on the way out but i'm pretty much in agreement with you yeah i'm not going to deny there's not some knobheads in the osr but you know what there is in every community and to sort of like take a lot of uh stuff that's occurred in the past and sort of use that as your reason for like leaving now seems a little bit disingenuous for me but To be honest, it's not a podcast I follow, so I can't really comment with any authority. But it always makes me laugh when people sort of storm off as some sort of dramatic gesture. And I've done it myself in the past, you know, emotions run high. But to be honest, I think sort of tarring a community with one single brush seems a little bit ironic and maybe just a tad hypocritical for people who are complaining about bad behaviour from other people and you know, bad actors and things like that and a community not being inclusive. But maybe I'm wrong. What can I say? I agree with you. I've never found the majority of people in the OSR community to be anything other than welcoming, good fun to chat to. And yet we've all got different politics and stuff like that, which I know is like the big like new thing. Like you can't talk about anything without politics coming into it now. But I think as long as you're like just playing games with people and you're having fun, great. Cracking. What more could you ask for, Arby? I'm not looking for some like, mad political discourse. I'm looking to play some games and have fun. And I think, fine, as long as I've kept that mindset within the OSR community, everything has been absolutely poker. Anyway,
3: I enjoyed the episode, dude. Take care. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay safe. Thank you very much, John. John Allen Large there from Red Dice Diaries. Nothing really I can add there. I understand that, you know, some people haven't had such a great time in that community Um, and individuals have chosen to distance themselves from the community no doubt for valid reasons and you know as it is with these things they try and encourage people to go with them and part of that is perhaps highlighting the negative aspects of a community but These are experiences of individuals and not the characteristics of the community as a whole. And, I mean, if anything, the reason that these things do occur is precisely because it's not a gate-kept community. And thinking along those lines of keeping politics out of gaming, Goblins henchman made a very interesting point towards the end of Rob C's last episode of Down in a Heap uh, the Call in Bonanza D&D Fight Club episode yeah goblin's henchman was talking about the fact that you know some people don't believe you can keep politics out of gaming that politics is very much a part of every aspect of their lives and um you know, I do try and keep that sort of stuff separate, personally. My online presence as a gamer is as free throw and is very much separate from other aspects of my life. It's something that I try to do, whether that's possible or not. That's the choice I've made. On Twitter, for example, I've got two Twitter accounts. One where I follow other gamers, creators and for want of a better term, geek culture. And I've got I've got another Twitter profile where I follow psychologists, psychotherapists, critical thinkers, political commentators, the handful of independent journalists who don't, you know, toe the line of mass media narratives, documentary makers, And comedians, too, you know, personally, I think, are in the main truth speakers who cut through a lot of crap because they speak for themselves and they're responsible for their own opinions. And not only that, humour is incredibly, incredibly important to me. And, you know, that's how I choose to manage things. Thanks very much for your call, John. Cheers. And I'll return to uh, Goblin's Henchman's calling to Rob a little bit later because, um, yeah, raised some very interesting points there.
2: Half these people that were controversial, I didn't hear about until they were actually controversial, and that's why I heard about them. But, anyways, uh, great episode, lots of good information here, and I, I tend to agree with you. I think that the the labels we put on things. Uh, can never really uh, encapsulate what they are. But people do like to put themselves in groups. I think it gives them some connections. So if that makes people happy, as long as those labels are not uh, putting a negative light on groups unfairly, then I think they're fine. Hey, Spencer, uh, listening to the otherwise engaged, I guess I'm going backwards, uh, episode. Oh, my car's flashing. And, uh... <laughs> Uh, about the fast action, I, I actually have hypertolerance. I'll try to look at it when I get home, but I know in Coriolis, for instance, there's fast actions, and then there's slow actions, and you don't you don't necessarily even get to go first if you have a fast action, but the way they do it is, if you perform a fast action, you can do more of them, basically, which seems to be the opposite of what you're talking about, uh, but you get penalized. So you would be, and that, it's a dice pool system, so like a fast action, you would be penalized a die, Um, If you want to take a fast action versus a normal action, which you wouldn't be penalized to die. And then if you do a slow action, where you get, of course, less of those, I guess one, uh, then you get a bonus die. I'm being very general, but that's kind of how it works. So you do something fast, you can do it more often, but with a penalty. Do something slow, you can do it less often, but without a penalty. Of course, I just gave you all that information for no reason, except for to say (laughs) that, yeah, I don't understand the term either. It wouldn't make sense to me if something was called fast that you should go first, I get that, but that you should only have one action versus a slow doesn't really make sense to me. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go look at the system. But, uh, yeah, good episode so far.
3: Hey, Daniel, thanks for that. Um, yeah, the fast and slow action combat. I was listening to Ireland Walker, live from Pelham's Wasteland, talking on it, um, and he was speaking about it in a way that made more sense to me. I think he was using slightly different terminology to fast and slow action that somehow made more sense to me. I'll go, I'll go back and see if I can find that and listen to that and maybe elaborate on that a little. So I've just gone back and checked out Ireland's episode 111, The Throne is a Cold Seat. And in the last 10 minutes, he talks about combat in this um, hack that he's come up with that combines a few different games and he refers to the shadow of the demon lord combat in terms of turns fast turns and slow turns and if you're only taking one action that's a fast turn if you're taking two actions that's a slow turn and i don't know there's just something about changing the words that makes a little more sense to me also it's something that seems to work very well at the table even if it doesn't kind of make sense in my head so there's that you mentioned labels earlier on in that message and i've got a call from liran of updates from the middle of nowhere on that very subject
1: hey spencer it's liran from updates from the middle of nowhere i am listening to your most recent episode And I'm just at the beginning, but I'm listening to things in little short bursts. So I thought, ooh, I better respond to this now because I don't know when I'm going to get to go past this point in the podcast. So uh, Jason sent in a message about labels, um, and I have talked about this at length (laughs) on different people's podcasts. Uh, I think the last time I mentioned it was on Roleplay Rescue, um, and Che and I have actually had a really interesting conversation about that. I think labels are important because if you're going to run games and you're going to offer games and you're going to try to get people to play in your games, they have to have some idea what your game is going to be like. That is the value I see in labels. The problem with labels, oh, back in a minute, as I see it, the problem with labels is that people bring a lot of connotations to them. and. And it's been my observation that some people are very sensitive to them. Some people kind of take them in stride and there's everything in between. Right. I mean, like just about everything. I think an important starting point for labels is taking a deep breath and understanding their purpose before listening to them. And then um, I don't know, like I think a lot of people who have had labels used against them. Uh, get offended and they're looking for a point of offense as soon as a label is applied. And I don't blame them. I've had labels applied to me that I strongly disliked, and certainly I can be sensitive to them. There's no doubt about it. But that doesn't mean there isn't label uh, value to be found in using labels. If I'm going to play any game, I want to know what level of uh narr- you know narrative interaction is expected. I want to know if the dice are making the decisions. Uh, I want to know the level of combat, and I, I mean that's just about deciding which game I might play in when I have very limited time. And for the record, I, I'm more about the people I'm playing with than the game I play. So there are certainly people who, if they're in a game, I'm going to play in it if I can, just because I like them and I enjoy gaming with them. So of course that plays a part, but. Let's say that I have a window of time and I go, ooh, I wonder if there's a game available that I could play in that time. I absolutely, positively want those labels to help me decide which game with strangers online that I might join.
3: Hey, Liren, great to hear from you. Liren from Updates from the middle of nowhere there. And um, yes, I'm, I'm very much of a similar mind. Labels are very useful. There can be a problem. Thinking about them in a larger context or in a different context. When I was working as a counsellor, quite often I would get clients coming to me who have received a diagnosis. And while, as a counsellor, it's not my job to deal with that kind of medicalization aspect of mental health. I'm there to speak to the person, you know, connect with that person. But quite often they will come with a label, a a diagnosis that they have been given that has really helped them in understanding the difficulties they face, the, 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 the things that they struggle with. And it makes a lot of sense to them. I've also seen people come in, who have been given labels which didn't make any sense to them whatsoever, that they they only kind of exacerbated the the problems they were having. So, you know, it's um, not so much the labels that are a problem. As you say, it's, you know, how accurate they are, how they are employed, who is applying them and why. But thank you, thank you very much for sharing that. Um I had a little more uh, further interaction with Liran on Discord and um she said something that got me thinking about um about privilege, about my privilege and how I don't feel I considered that when talking about feeling accepted. Into a community, and I, I was thinking about I was thinking about that and how much how much I'm aware of that. I mean, to a certain extent, I identify as free thrall in interactions online. I don't I don't really talk about my ethnicity, my sexuality, my uh, gender, because. Frankly, I think those are the least interesting things about me. But I assume, I, I, I get the impression that when I'm talking to people, they assume I'm a white male simply because I don't discuss that stuff. Which is um, it's an interesting thing to consider. Well, that's thats the privilege right there, isn't it? The fact that i I don't have to consider that. I don't have to give it a second thought. I think about the way I interact with people. I'm extremely limited with regards to my mobility. I'm someone that needs assistance on a daily basis. And I don't really discuss that part of my life either. But it's it's interesting thinking about those things that you assume about people you're interacting with the assumptions they make about you. Uh, but I don't know. I find there's something quite freeing about that. Because um being online is uh, a bit of an even playing field, really, for someone with uh, physical disabilities. I just do my best to treat people as equals, I guess. But then, obviously, you've got the issue that Everybody's experiences aren't equal, and I guess this this leads into my thoughts about Goblin's henchman's points that he made over on Down and a Heap about um, you know these some of these bad actors, you know their crime is that they struggle to communicate or certainly are not effective. Communicators, and maybe they don't want to communicate and perhaps they're more interested in putting people's backs up but I mean by that logic uh, because of how they come across uh, continued interactions with them just drives that wedge even deeper and uh, you know ultimately they marginalise themselves Far from being gatekeepers, which is how some people consider these characters, um, they they are essentially on the fringes of the community by their own actions. You know, they have put themselves there. That's how I see it. So, yeah, that's kind of my take on what Goblin's henchman was saying, and. His message is certainly one worth listening to. Anyway, I don't know if there's a fuller picture, because there's so many different things going on, Uh, but it's very nice to hear your, your episode, hear that you're back at it and I'm looking forward very much to this weekend where I I have, um, uh, a, 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 what do you say, a, a, an embarrassment of riches with you, Spencer, um, Saturday and Sunday. Thank you, Barney. A final word there from Barney Dicker. Um, <laughs> the, the bigger picture being a reference to the uh, the enigmatic mosaic message he left me while he was uh, relaxing with a little tipple, a glass of wine, and Barney's referring to the game of Call of Cthulhu. We've got lined up this evening and also a session of alluvial planes that Barney's running using his vantage system and um, having a lot of fun with both those games. Thank you for those kind words, Barney. I'm very much looking forward to this weekend too. Speak soon. Your experience of a community is very much going to be coloured by what platform you're on, you know? Uh, people outside that aren't necessarily going to be aware of any distinction between groups across different platforms and even within a particular platform you've got different groups then it's subdivided again you've got your OSR your Inglorious OSR OSR Classic Diet OSR, Cherry OSR OSR with Lime Tab Clear well, that's just a a drink but you, you get my point I hope well that's about enough from me I think thank you very much for listening thank you so much for your calls if you want to leave me a message please contact me via the anchor link in the description you can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com there's a facebook page for keep off the borderlands you can find me on twitter and mewe on the audio dungeon discord and various other places on discord as free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.